As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Autometer. It's tax season at Autometer. That means huge mail-in rebates from the industry leader, purchased by April 30th to take advantage. I see what you did there, Luke, with tax season. You that like was that? good stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're also proud to welcome a new sponsor of the show this week, and that's Bayer Jewelers. Owned and operated by longtime racer Stephanie Bayer, Bayer Jewelers is your source for quality jewelry at a fair price. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki, and the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Yeah. Running out of time, chasing down a finish line, it ain't over till it's over and the line ain't on your side. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Luke? What's going on, bud? I'm still alive, and we we were just talking off air how I uh, I do make you read that <laughs> intro every week. If that sounds like it's pre-recorded, it's the same every week. He's just that good at it. I make him do that every week. <laughs> we we could play that from previous weeks. <laughs> Jed, we got a great show today. I think it's a little bit of a a slow week because it was a slow last weekend in racing. Yeah. The only major event that I know of going on was the uh, the NHRA Division Two race in Gainesville. But uh, we've got some fun stuff to talk about today. We're actually going to spend some time with. Dr. Tammy Eggleston. Tammy is a friend of mine. I actually know her through her husband, Mike, who many of you may be familiar with Tough Paw pit products and trailer products, toughpaw.com. They're in my area and I actually met them. I had I had Mike make me a, a wild contraption, like a roll around display with a television in it, kind of a promotional thing several years ago. If you want something like that done, don't call Mike. I'm pretty sure he will never do another one after dealing with me. But, uh, <laughs> but that's how I met Tammy and she is a... Uh, 
she has a doctorate in psychology. She is a sports psychologist, and through her work with racing, specializes in drag racing and drag racers. So I'm looking forward to getting some insight from her and allowing her to share with listeners um, what she does and how she can help racers in general. I think it'll be a really good conversation. Yeah, I do too. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, this this head of mine's pretty cloudy, so I'm looking forward to, to Tammy helping me clear it up a little bit. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. What else is happening? Well, Jed, you know, last episode we had Caleb Ellison on, and he was uh, he was nominated. He was voted in as the the next big thing by Sportsman Drag Racing podcast listeners, and and I thought Caleb was great, a very well spoken young man. In addition to what he does on the racetrack, so I thought that was a lot of fun. But I feel like we've got a little like age discrimination going on. Everybody that we had dominated there, we kind of even made the request that they had to be twenty five or under. You know what I mean? Like we've talked about this and, and while we did the, the next big thing, we feel like just for, I guess it's a little bit of a play on words. How about the last big thing? <laughs> We're going to yeah. do this the same way. We we want you to, uh, to nominate potential competitors using our Facebook page. Um, we'll put the post out there. But what we're looking for is racers that have been doing this a long time. Um, like I said, we'll have a little bit of fun with it. So obviously we're looking for an older racer that's been at it for a while, but that is still out there competing and, and competing at a high level. So um, yeah. it, the last big thing is, like I could say, kind of a play on words. We're, we're not looking for a has-been. We're looking for somebody that's still doing it at a high level, well into the years where a lot of people hang up the helmet. Yeah, and there's a lot of those out there, so this should be easy for people to come up with uh, with a great list of racers. But looking forward, because I'm, you know, no offense to the experienced group that we're targeting, but I'm sure I've forgotten a handful of these guys too. So looking forward to seeing the names that you guys put on the Facebook page, Sportsman Drag Racing podcast facebook page yeah and what we'll do like i said we'll do this the same way that we did the next big thing we'll basically put out a call for nominees and probably the the handful of people that get the most mentions the most likes the most comments within the facebook thread we'll start a an email poll and do do something similar to what we did with the next big thing like i said it'll probably be a multi-week process but we wanted to go ahead and roll it out now let you guys think about uh, who is deserving and we would love obviously to uh, to have the top leading vote getter eventually join us here on the sportsman drag racing podcast i think that'd be a lot of fun yeah it ought to be fun to get whoever that person is on skype that, that should be a, <laughs> yeah. an experience all in itself <laughs> i don't know if your flip phone's got skype but we're gonna figure it out no i'm just kidding no offense guys <laughs> all-state race we haven't talked about the all-state race in a couple of weeks have you seen any new updates i saw i like the way that team texas is uh, is rolling out their team as they go kind of uh, like a big announcement every couple of days you've been keeping up yep. with that jed yeah i have and uh i think team uh is it uh, was it ontario that come out i think with six of their seven and obviously team texas is uh, naming their list and that in itself team texas getting a lot of getting a lot of attention for the way it went down but you know i, I know yeah, I mean, they, they probably did it as fair as far as I think it was Tommy trying not to tick a bunch of people off. He basically put it up yeah. to a vote. But, uh, and they've, regardless, like in Texas, I think you could probably field four or five teams and they'd all be pretty salty. So you got a lot of yes. good choices. Like I say, I haven't kept up with it super close. I know that both two of the Penningtons, I think it was Michael and Pete's, right? Door car and dragster. Jay Robinson was the bottom ball rep. And yep. I just saw that they announced it couple of days ago, Austin Williams and Stock Superstock. I'm not sure if they've put any more out. Have you seen anything beyond that? 
Uh, I think Tommy uh, got nominated. I think he was chosen, if I remember correctly. Did did that not happen? As the 90 rep? Yeah. I, I don't think, know uh, how you could choose anyone else. And yeah, that's I think not he blew to, the field away. Yeah, that's not to disparage any of the other Texas-based uh, super comp, super gas racers, but I think that's a no-brainer. So, yeah. as a 90 entrant in the Allstate race myself, <laughs> I guess there's that's not fair to say because there's nobody that I want to race, but that guy's never on my list (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah he's always got it together Tommy I think got a little bit of blowback for the way it was done but man he he handled that extremely well um again as fair a way as you could do it really and will we ever know if we got the quote-unquote best racers in any state that remains to be seen we know that's a that changes daily but I think he got a little bit of blowback for Jay Robinson uh, getting chosen when others maybe felt somebody else was more qualified, but I don't know how you get more qualified than Jay Robinson. I mean, he's the foot-breaking fool, so you know, on the bottom bulb, he's as bad as there is, and there's tons of talent in that state that could represent them. As you said, it's big enough for several teams. That state's so spread out, it's like they forget they're all in the same state <laughs> with the, the, the quadrants they're racing in, but kudos to Tommy. He did a real good job with that, and congratulations to those that have been picked so far. Yeah, while we were talking, I actually just texted Britt Cummings, the the proprietor of the the All State race and the and the Great American Bragging race. I said, "Hey, man, anything going on with the All State race?" And this is the text, and like maybe I shouldn't even bring this up without calling Britt, but I I, I just feel obliged <laughs> to share it. And he says, "Well, you can bring up the fact that some people were whining and were making statements, which showed that they haven't even looked at the flyer, and that must be a byproduct of getting participation awards their whole life." And you can quote me on that. So I don't know who that's in reference to or particularly what that's about, but I tell you this much: like I'm not a fan of participation awards. How about you, Jed? No, no, not not uh, no? not a fan of uh, rewarding anybody for something they didn't do. But and I'm a fan uh, of obviously, and I'm a fan uh, of the Allstate race. Yeah, obviously, Britt is uh, making a statement there, and <laughs> you know it's from the heart. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so this deal is going to get – I was actually out of town. I'm doing this uh, recording on remote location today. I'm up in uh, Ohio picking up my wife's new uh, dragster from American Race Cars. I spent the day at uh, at APD, and we were – Randy Shewer and I were actually talking about the Allstate race and how big a deal it is. Like, I'm telling you, the way that this deal is going to get built up over the next few months, like, winning that race is going to be a as big a deal as winning the million. I mean, not financially, certainly, but in terms of recognition, I – it's going to be a really big deal. It's this is cool. I agree. Uh, you know, it's it, something I didn't mention when you asked me had I seen anything else. Obviously, Big Nasty was named a dragster racer for Team California, and I know they're going down their list as well. So you think about it, this race is in Memphis, Tennessee, and and teams from Canada and Arizona and California are already committed and naming their their team members and getting ready to come out. This is going to be huge, and this is going to get a lot of attention on the, the bracket racing scene. Yeah, no, I've, I've been fired up about this since Britt called and said that they wanted to do it. And I, the, with everything that they have done to build it up and how excited and how much pride everybody has uh, has already displayed in their teams, like, you know, that's just going to ramp up over the next three, four months. Like, this, this is going to oh be my awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, obviously Cody Harger's already trash-talked my team, Alabama Slammers, and... We have failed to respond very well, so How do you hopefully my team. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't really know, but we had a couple of ideas, but uh, we, we've gone stale right now. Uh, Cody well, has definitely got us. Well, the problem with the response there is that that's going to open up a can of worms, and I don't know that that's a fight you want to fight, dude. No, I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I have what it takes about that fight. I need my team members to step in, but nobody's interested. We're going to uh, hopefully get, let that down. Yeah, get bones in that Facebook war. See how that works out for you. <laughs> yeah, that should be good. We'll let our result talking. Well, we did have a little bit of racing last weekend. Like we said, it was a slow week, but uh, they did. It sounded like the uh, had some weather coming in and actually moved up eliminations one day in Gainesville. But they did get the NHRA Division Two event in in Gainesville. It looked like a huge crowd, which is kind of to be expected. It's the week prior to the Gators. So you got a lot of, uh, particularly the the snowbirds coming down. Looking to get out of the weather, spend a week or two in uh, in Florida, and uh, looked like the race went off without a hitch. I uh, just thumbing through the results, I saw one of those quote unquote snowbirds, Division One guys, Michael Volkman, got the win in Superstock over Jerry Holman. Stock was Anthony Bongiovanni beat Kevin Helms. What's that? Four time world champion Kevin Helms and uh, yeah. Bongiovanni. Like I could just man, I could say that name. Like, I don't know Anthony Bongiovanni, <laughs> but I hope he wins more often because like I like that. <laughs> That's that's way better than Bogaki. Bon Giovanni. Bon, bon Giovanni. Sorry, I can't even get it right. Bon Giovanni. Bon Giovanni. That's awesome. Uh, he had a big day. It's equally difficult to say. Oh, no. He, he's got way more letters and vowels and stuff. Like, Bogaki's easy. It's just, it's exactly how it's spelled. Bon Giovanni. Mm. All right. That's all. It, so. he, he had a big day. Win in stock <laughs> over Kevin Helms and semi in super stock as well. So, heck of a start to the season for Mr. Bon Giovanni. Yeah, great start for him. And in Super Comp, Robert Houston defeated David Morris. A couple of DT and, guys. And Super Gas, uh, no stranger to the winner's circle here, Mike Griggs, uh, taking the win over Frank Altillo. Yeah, Griggs got that done in his Chevy, too, that is normally a super street car, I think. Really? Yeah, I glanced at one of the results, and I don't know if he's on the brakes or what, but it was 990 at 130-something, which is pretty cool. You know what I mean? You just don't see a lot of that anymore, and that class is no, dominated by cars like mine, you know, that are very expensive, purpose-built super gas cars. It's it's neat to see somebody like Mike, who's obviously very talented, he's had a ton of success in Super Street over the years, prove that you don't necessarily need all of that to go make a good run in 990. Pretty cool. So you think you think Mike was on the brakes? Possibly. I mean, I'm mm. not going to speak Boy. for him. And, got, and still got to win. That's good stuff right there. Good for Mike. Well didn't done. Even, didn't even get thrown out for it. <laughs> Over in Super Street, Dean Mira defeated a guy that's done very well in Super Street, uh, John Rollins. He performed well, and another guy that's performed really well is Jonathan Anderson, which semi And Jonathan, as you mentioned in the earlier episode, just dude is on fire. I just Super pulled Street. up the finals and thought, what on earth? There's a Division Two race. Jonathan Anderson didn't win Super Street. And then I just clicked <laughs> on the next round and was like, oh, he lost at three. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's definitely turned on a lot of wind lights, and I'm not sure did, if, if Dean or, or Rollins put him out. But I think Rollins sure they had to make a good run to do it. Did. I don't remember the details, but I think it was uh, it was Dean that knocked him off at three. Um, yeah, can we skip the rest of the results? No, no, this is what, it's about to get good. I, I tell oh, you what, why don't you tell us who won Top Sportsman down there at Gainesville? And Top Sportsman, the always tough. Jeffrey Barker uh, defeated John Lynch, and that is another victory for Team Luke, which makes me 
a little bit sick in my stomach. I was just, that's, I mean, it's ridiculous how you've done so far this year. You're on fire. At a boy, Jeffrey. Between Jeffrey and uh, Sandy Wilkins and Ed Open, like my top sportsman team is looking stout. I like it. Of course, I think the, the overall number one pick was Jared Lobner. By you, he hasn't been on the racetrack in 2017, so I don't like we can count anybody out just yet. No, you can't count him out, but he's got his work cut out for him. He does, he does. And and I think I said this on a previous podcast, but what Jeffrey Barker does in that class, like, he qualifies near the pole. Like, he goes six, I think he's about 655 in the final. Yes. And to me, a big part of the challenge in that class is going A to B every run. He goes A to B every run, running half a second faster than half the field. And just, I know that there ain't nothing easy about, A, going that fast or bracket racing at it. Jeffrey Barker makes that class look easy. Like, he he just, man, he's he's very impressive. And then, see, top dragster uh, with KB over uh, Mark Jones. And I'm trying to remember, did did one of us draft KB? (laughs) That's right. That's right. He's part of Team (laughs) Week, too, isn't he? He just got married. I didn't think he was racing for points. And then you're going to text people and get find out their plans. That's Sometimes cool. you've got to get a little inside info. It's just like, well, <laughs> never mind. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, I saw KB impressive uh, outing with his, uh, with his pro charger machine qualified at 602, yeah. I believe. Oh uh, man. Yeah. On the pole and mm-hmm. turned down the wick just a little bit to go racing, but I think he was dialed 619 in the final or low 620. Like, Pretty impressive. Yeah. Obviously, got that thing flying, and, and obviously has it uh, has it working pretty dang well as well. So, kudos to KB. Yeah, the last last thing top dragster class needs is KB uh, racing out of the front window. That's going to be tough to beat him. He's always got his stuff together mentally, and his his cars are very well prepared. So, good job by KB. I ain't hating on you. I know your team, Luke, but uh, congrats and. Still love you, buddy. <laughs> and normally we don't we don't focus a whole lot of competition eliminator, but uh, but Rambo got the win, David Rampey, and he's a sportsman guy at heart, so I always feel uh, obliged to mention Rambo. He got the win over uh, Chuck Hobiel in comp, and it looked like a good turnout for a comp race. Five round comp race is kind of rare these days, so it's nice to see those guys coming out. I'm sure again that has a lot to do with being the week before the Gator Nationals, but uh, but glad yeah. to see however many, obviously 17 or more comp cars there is is a good sign. Yeah, Rambo's Alabama boy, so that makes me feel a little bit better. Outside of racing, Jed, it's uh, this to me. This is uh, Thursday coming up. A lot of you guys will maybe listening oh, to yeah. this show for the first time on Thursday. Thursday is Christmas to me, okay? Thursday is the opening <laughs> day of the NCAA tournament. I will be back home. I have, I have cleared my schedule from noon to midnight. I will not do anything on Thursday. I will sit on the couch and watch games and love yeah. every second of it. Like I say, I'm a, I'm a big college basketball guys so before we get to tammy eggleston like you give me the lowdown jed i know you're into this you, you'll be in brad plord's bracket right yeah I, I need to get signed up tomorrow for sure I and need to do um, the same. i've performed extremely terrible if that's even you put those two words together but it was bad <laughs> last year so looking to redeem myself i was the guy picking all the upsets last year and it didn't pan out and obviously the upsets i picked didn't that I didn't pick happen and so on and so forth. But um, I feel like I got a little something. I paid a little closer attention this year. And um, Oh, that's that what like- you're undoing. That's that, like yeah. I told you, I pay a lot of attention. And I think I've played <laughs> in, in Brad's bracket challenge probably four or five times and finished next to last every time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I don't like what's happened to, to Wichita State. I think they got a bum seed and 
I'm looking for oh, them it's to fine do big for Wichita things. State. It's rough for Dayton and maybe Kentucky, but it, it's it's plenty yeah. fair for Wichita State. Yeah, Dayton's a, <laughs> Dayton's a good ball club too, so that ought to be a great opening game. But I'm going to to my major upsets. I'm picking Middle Tennessee State over Minnesota. Uh, I don't think that's going way out on a limb, but based on the seating, it is. And my kind of shocker is New Mexico State over Baylor. I like New Mexico State. I think that there's probably a lot of West Texas boys that didn't get picked by the Big 12 school or schools that may mm-hmm. have a little something a little for them. So I think, there. I, I think they're going to come in with a little more fire than normal getting to play Baylor. So I'm looking for New Mexico State to pull a big upset. But other than a, that. Uh, that's one that I hadn't heard a whole lot. I mean, it wouldn't shock me. My, I have, I've got this goofy rule about picking upsets, and it's that, like, if you got some players back that were upset last year, like it ain't happening again. That's kind of my yeah. take on Baylor. Like I think it was Yale last year knocked them off in the first yep. round. Like I just feel like there's guys on that team that are going to say, no, not this time. I have the same feeling about Purdue after losing early last year. But I, I don't have any basis in that. That's just one of my stupid rules that typically don't work out. So don't base any bracket off of uh, anything that I'm saying. But I'm with <laughs> you. I, I'm actually with you on Middle Tennessee. I like that team a lot. Uh, I got to watch them a couple of times this year. And I – Minnesota's fine, but they're, I think, a little bit overrated or overseeded. I I, I think that's a good matchup for Middle Tennessee. And I'm one, like, when you put the the 11, 12, 13 seeds all together, like, there's a lot of them that I I would have said, you know, blank sheet. Like, that's a team that could make the Sweet 16. But it comes down to matchups. Like, I really wanted to pick, say, UNC Wilmington. Like, I watched them play a couple times this year, and they're fun. They play fast. They're athletic. Like, they've got D1 dudes. And I thought, like, the last time that I saw them play, like, I'm picking that team. I don't care who they play first round of the tournament. Well, they play Virginia. Yeah. And UNC Wilmington's one of those teams that presses from end to end. You can't, like, Virginia is going to slow the game down and drag it through the mud. Like, you just, that's the worst possible matchup. So I can't pick Wilmington. But I've got a couple of, I've got Xavier over Maryland, which is a little bit of a, a limb. I actually had Xavier in my final four to start the year. And then they've had injuries, and it's kind of turned into a mess. Like, they barely made the tournament. I think they got one win in them, so I'm going to take those over Maryland. I got Rhode Island knocking off Creighton, which isn't a huge upset as, as hurt as Creighton is, but I actually got Rhode Island making a little bit of a run. I've, I, I got a feeling they could knock off Oregon the next round. and then They are a popular pick. Yeah, I've seen that. And then, uh, again, Middle Tennessee. What do you got for your Final Four? I really struggle with these type things, but I'm not – a hundred percent confident in my picks, obviously. But well, nobody's going to be right. I mean, somebody's going to be. Yeah, right. but probably I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel like a guy that's not as educated as he needs to be in the picks. But I think I'm going with the popular picks. I mean, I I like UNC. I like Kansas. Uh, I like Villanova and. I'm not, I think Arizona was my other. Yeah, they would be in the other region. Yeah, yep. yeah I think Arizona was my, was my last one. Pretty well chalked there, Jed. He had three number one seeds and a number two. Yeah, you know, I feel like. But I mean, obviously, I, there's all no there chance of that happening. But it's hard to pick against those guys. <laughs> Who cuts down the nets? I really like Kansas. I know that's probably a terrible pick because they struggled a little bit late. But man, watching them play, they just look so darn good. They're talented dudes. I uh, I don't guess, like, my Final Four, I don't th- feel like I went out on a limb. Like, I've pretty much got blue bloods. But I don't have any number one seeds. 
my final four is Duke, Arizona, Louisville, and UCLA. And I've got UCLA winning wow. it all. So that's your wow. surefire pick to go. I'm, a, I'm all in Lonzo Ball, baby. So. Wow. <laughs> UCLA to win it all. That's, UCLA. Uh, that's that's Where's John Wooden when you need him? Uh, <laughs> and just really, if you want to get right down to it, the picks, and I'm going to submit a bracket. I've decided I'm putting in an extra 50 bucks. Gary, my three-year-old, is going to have a bracket. And uh, we went through it. We've gone most of the season like, uh, Gary, who's going to win today? You, you got the Blue Devils or the, or the Tar Heels, right? <laughs> and uh, he's funny because he never picks against Kansas. He, he's big about the Jayhawks for whatever reason. And he'll even tell you, he goes, I got the Jayhawks. Daddy, I always pick the Jayhawks. And he does. He always <laughs> picks the Jayhawks. So it was no surprise that he has Kansas in the Final Four and he has Kansas cutting down the nets just like you do. But based solely on mascots, my three-year-old has a Final Four of Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, and North Dakota. <laughs> Again, Gary likes the Jayhawks. Well, North Dakota is the Fighting Hawks. And I think that was just close enough to Jayhawks. He said, Fighting Hawks, Fighting Hawks, Fighting Hawks. Close enough. So we've got North Dakota not only knocking off your Final Four team, Arizona, my Final Four team, Arizona, in round one, but we've got them carrying that momentum right to the final game. So let's go, <laughs> go Fighting, fighting Hawks. Hawks. Right, right. <laughs> Good pick, Gary. <laughs> you guys are familiar with Automator. Everybody has Autometer tax gauges, and some of you high rollers like Luke even have Autometer data acquisition. Well, March and April are tax season for all of us, and it's tax season at Autometer. Purchase a new Autometer tachometer. You can get it from Luke at Luke Bugacki Motorsports. He'd like that, but I don't really care where you get it. I just want you to get it before April 30th so you can save some money. All Autometer tax purchases between now and then come with a mail-in rebate. That rebate is easy, no hassle, and it is significant. If, for example, you purchase the Autometer Ultimate DL Tachometer for its normal price of $799, you get a $175 rebate from Autometer. That's over 20% off. Don't need the Ultimate DL? Almost every Autometer tack qualifies for some rebate, ranging from $10 up to the previously mentioned $175. Again, you can get your Autometer tack anywhere, but honestly, we'd love it if you contact Luke at Luke Bogacki Motorsports. Yeah, I would like that. <laughs> I, I want to talk for just a second about um, Buyer Jewelers. Look, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking about racing and race cars and stuff like that. The last thing that's on your mind right now is jewelry. But at some point, we all reach a point where we need something along those lines could be an engagement ring an anniversary gift or just something to show your significant other that you care and if you're anything like me you'd like to deal with someone you know someone who has common interests i know stephanie buyer at buyer jewelers i met stephanie and her husband ed at the races years ago they still race today I bought my wife's engagement rig from Stephanie. We purchased our wedding set from Buyer Jewelers, and we've made a handful of purchases since. Jed has done business with Stephanie. A lot of racers have done the same. Always quality products, always incredible service, and she has always saved us money. So when that time comes, she can do the same for you. Give Stephanie a call at 937-376-2727. You wanna make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land Then you do the L-Ride and you come out like the world Joining us now on the uh, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is Tammy Eggleston 
Tammy, for those of you that are not familiar with it, Tammy has her PhD in psychology from Iowa State University. She's currently a professor and associate dean at McKendry University, which is near me in uh, Lebanon, Illinois. She is also uh, on the United States Olympic Committee Sports Psychology Registry. She's worked with many individuals. She's worked with teams. She's worked with athletes, professional, amateur, various sports, but most notably, at least to us, auto racers. Her unique specialty is in auto racing and specifically drag racing. She and her husband, Mike, race in bracket events, Supercomp, and soon-to-be Super Gask, and have for more than two decades. She has contributed to a variety of auto racing publications on the psychology of auto racing, currently writing for Drag Scene, I believe. Tammy, how are you? I'm great. It's so great to talk to you, Luke. I, I know I've I've got the opportunity to race with Luke and have Luke come to our shop a few times and buy some Tough Paw aluminum products. So I had to put my plug in there for Tough Paw right off the bat. And so I love to get to talk with Luke. And then I feel like I know Jed because, you know, I, I love listening to the announcing. So this is great. It's like talking to two people that I feel like I really know really well. And they actually don't know me that well, but I feel like I know them really well. So it's great to be here. No, that's well, actually happy, Tammy. I was going to say something <laughs> Something similar because I know Tammy through her, her husband, Mike, who a lot of you listeners may be familiar with through racing and through toughpaw.com. But it's funny, Tammy, in, in the conversations that we've had and the time that we've spent together, we've never really talked about racing psychology. So I look forward to the opportunity to, to pick your brain here today on the show. Yeah, well, to tell you the truth, Luke, usually when I'm around you, we're getting ready to race and good grief. The last thing I want to do is give Luke Bagaki any more good mental tips. I, I feel like you kind of already got him. So I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I sort of struggle with, oh, gosh, I, I don't want to really give Luke one more tip. I feel like he's pretty much got all the mental tips he needs. So uh, so probably when I'm around you, I'm like, uh, hey, Luke, yeah, how's it going? I'll see you later. So, yeah, that's probably what's going on. <laughs> but no race cars around us today. So no fear that I have to pull up against you in the next five minutes. So. That's a pretty good sign. And, and Tammy, you're a psychologist, and if you like listening to me talk at all, you need to give yourself a thorough evaluation ASAP. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know what it is. You know, Mike and I, sometimes if we're not at a big buck race and then it's on, you know, anything, we'll say, well, we'll just watch a few rounds. And you know how that goes. By midnight, you're still up watching the race. So it, it's great. Yeah, it, it, we love to race, and we actually love to, to watch it or listen to it or whatever we can. Awesome. Tammy, just, I guess, start off telling us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you've got the education background and the professional history, but at what point did you start to kind of, I guess, mix your profession with your, your hobby or passion for racing? How did sure. That well, you know, and Luke, actually, you know, our, our stories are sort of similar that you started off racing with your dad. I started off racing with my dad. My dad's raced cars and actually just sold his last Camaro just like in the last, you know, last year or so. So my dad always raced. And it's really funny, Luke, because one of your pictures is you have with your dad in a 1932 Bantam Altered. And that's actually one of the cars my dad had was a 1932 Bantam Altered, you know. So really? I started off, yeah, I started off racing with my dad. He had a 1965 Dodge Cornette when I was like a little, you know, 10-year-old, 12-year-old little girl and doing burnouts with my dad way back when. And then we got the Altered and then we got Dragsters. So I've been around the track my whole life. So when I went to college, I got my undergrad degree and went to Iowa State for my PhD, I was always kind of learning the psychology. And I was, in my mind, I was always thinking, oh my gosh, this this relates so well to 
to drag racing. So, I, I mean, I've sort of made that connection forever. And I've been teaching at McKendree for 20 years, and I teach intro to psych and sports psych and then work with a lot of college teams here. So it's great. I work with bowlers, for example, and you wouldn't think that bowling is so much like drag racing, but actually bowling and drag racing have a lot of similarities. They have to care about, like, the lane conditions, and they have to do sort of the exact same behavior over and over again. So I've been able to really combine my love of racing that I've had since I was, you know, a 10-year-old little girl racing in Iowa, at Eddyville, Iowa, Cedar Falls, Iowa, back with my dad in the day, you know, and then we still compete now. And so it's been a really natural connection that there's so much mental game to really every sport. But I think especially sports like drag racing and bowling and golf, those kind of sports that you have to do that same very precise thing over and over again. Yeah, I agree. I see a lot of parallels. I, I'm sure that you're familiar to some extent. Like I've read a lot of uh, Bob Rotella books, which is all based in golf. But Absolutely. I see so many parallels there, right? Yeah, yeah. And a, a lot of times when you think about a lot of drag racers, they do either come from other sports. And I've worked with a couple of drag racers who have played other sports when they were in college, for example, or they just have always really loved sports. And I think that mental gain that you get from really any sport is so similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, and the for to familiarize listeners that aren't as familiar with you, tell us a little bit about your racing now or Mike's racing now. Sure, absolutely. Well, Mike and I have been together, married for about 21 years now. Actually, got married on 427. I always think that's cute because that was a you know engine number, so he supposedly <laughs> wouldn't forget that. But anyway, so yeah, we so I, I went right from you know being my dad's pit crew, and then I met my husband at the racetrack, of course. So we've been together for you know 20 some years. And we started off pretty much right away with dragsters and we run some points race at Gateway and then we do some big buck bracket race and then we do a little bit of super comp. And then just this year, because part of what makes me love racing, and I think it's good mentally for you too, is always having that new challenge. So we just bought a door card. Mike hasn't drove a door card in like, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, bought a door card to have a super gas car. So I think that's kind of one like first right out of the gate, a mental tip is I think like people get stale. And I think so sometimes when you get a new car or you try a new type of racing, I think that can really kind of stir up your brain. And so, yeah, do we have some learning curve that we haven't had a super gas car? Of course. But I think that also sometimes can make you really sharp. And when you see sometimes some of the best racers around, a lot of times they are changing up something just a little bit so that they can kind of refocus. And I think we can all get kind of lazy and in a rut if you keep doing the same thing. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And at times, too, just something new, I think, makes you focus back on the fundamentals and the basics, and that translates over into the other car, the other form of competition as well. Yeah, you know, and I, I hate to be like this, I hate to jinx ourselves, but some of the times that Mike drives the best is almost when there's sort of adversity that has happened at the track that day, where you get there and you think everything's going great. Sometimes those days, I think you get a little lackadaisical and you're not quite as focused where if all of a sudden something, not something too bad, but just something a little bit bad kind of forces him to work on the car. And then when he gets back in the car, he has to kind of refocus rather quickly. And sometimes that's when he's almost done the very best is when you have just a smidge of adversity, not too much, but just a little bit to kind of get you back focused on your game. Something to sort of occupy the conscious brain. Exactly. Allow you to let your training take over. Yeah. And I'm sure Jed notices that when like he's announcing that sometimes the guy who it looks like everything's going so great, that's not always the best day for that person. You know, sometimes the person who has to overcome something, oftentimes, I mean, first of all, it makes a heck of a better story after you win, after you overcome something. But I also think it kind of forces you, as you said, to get out of your head a little bit because we have so much downtime in drag racing between the rounds. 
Yeah, that's a great point, Tammy. I I think probably 95% of the winter circle interviews or uh, discussions after the mics off always had some adversity that the, the driver had to overcome. I think it's it's just part of racing. That's going to be there pretty much every time you go to the racetrack. So not only makes a good story, but I think it <laughs> obviously prepares you for the next time you go out. Yeah. Yeah. In sports psychology, we talk about that being like grit, you know, that people just have to be able to, you know, roll with the punches and bounce back. And it, some of my pet peeves, I hear people say, you know, at the tracks, you know, they'll be like, oh man, I got flipped lanes and that really threw me off my game or, or, you know, oh man, this happened. I'm like, you got to get used to that. Or somebody who says, I always have to stage first or else I can't cut a light. I'm like, well, you're never going to do good. Then I mean, you've got to be able to really roll with those punches of getting lane switches and who cares if you stage first or second, who cares if you're, you know, in the right lane or left lane. I think those are the kind of things that that you just have to get really good at. And when I work with athletes at McKendry in any sport, we talk a lot about that. If they start complaining about they're a softball player, it was kind of windy. I'm like, well, it's going to be windy. You're a softball player. You got to get over those kind of <laughs> things. Yeah. And, I, and that's kind of how I am with drag racing too, that you've just got to almost be ready for those crazy things to happen because they're going to happen. And the people who can adapt to it, and just mentally almost accept that that will happen are the ones who tend to do better. And not just with winning, but just even the ability to stick to the sport. You know, I mean, like all of a sudden Mike and I kind of woke up one day and we're not young, as young as we used to be. But we're proud that like we've been in this sport for a really long time now. And I think there's just something to be said about having the the guts and the grit to just stay with a, a really tough sport over the years. Yeah, and I, I would even, it's in a lot of cases, take it like a step further, even more so than like adapting to the adversity. Like I think the a lot of the truly elite performers, even more so than adapting to adversity, like embrace it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I love that, you know, the air is a tenth different than yesterday, you know, or, or something like right. that, because it gives me an mm -hmm. opportunity to showcase this skill that I've been working on or however the case may be. Like, And it's more, I think, a case of convincing yourself of that more often than necessarily, you know, just making yourself believe that more so than actually having the skill. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's funny you said that because I was just working with another, again, I've been working with the softball team lately, and the softball girls were like, oh, we don't like it after it rains and the grass is kind of wet, you know, and I said, I said, well, you're a softball player, you know, you're going to have to deal with wet grass. I said, but we need to switch that around where when it's wet, you guys need to be like, this is awesome because we're prepared for wet grass and that other team is probably scared of the wet grass. And it's funny because I do think in drag racing, you can tell that the guys who easily get rattled when there's something that happens, they hardly are going to ever be able to win where the guys who look at that adversity as almost like just another challenge and almost a confidence of, Hey, I can handle this sort of thing that can happen. And, you know, and I, and I think that's where, you know, every stage of your racing, you have to kind of know what you have going for you. And I think when you're 18 and you're young and you're fresh out, what you've got is, you know, great reaction times and a lot of energy and you almost don't know what you don't know. And I think that's why sometimes they can do really good. Then I think when you start to get older, you have to like really own that what you now have is experience and the ability to adapt to almost anything because you've experienced so much of that, but you really better own that then because that becomes one of your strengths. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, makes sense. Now you singled out like bowling. Obviously you've worked with a ton of athletes in various venues, but specifically like how does drag racing at the sportsman level compare to other athletes or other athletic endeavors? The one thing that I also think is amazing is I worked with, you know, 13 year olds who their sport is just basically they're trying to make their junior high team, you know, which to somebody who's older than 13, that seems like, well, big deal. 
two, I've worked with pros and Olympic athletes. And what's amazing is really the mental game is so similar because what's important to you when you're 13 is the same thing that's important to, you know, uh, it's the same thing that's important to Luke Bagaki when he's rolling up there trying to win, you know, Wally number 87 or whatever. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. The stress is all this kind of relative, but it still seems that enormous to that person at that time. So I've really found that almost all of the sports that are like the golf and the bowling and even like basketball, free throw shooting, anything that you have sort of a pause before you have to do a very specific behavior is just like drag racing. I mean, that's, it's that pause before you have to go do a very specific behavior. And that causes us a lot of stress because you have all that time before you have to go do that, that one behavior. Tammy, those are the similarities. Same question, but how is it different? Yeah, I I think what's, you know, obviously, Drag racing is, for the most part, a pretty individual sport where, you know, kind of at the end of the day, you know, Mike, Luke, Jed, you guys are out there kind of on the line, kind of by yourself. You know, sure, you've got, you know, people at the pits helping you and and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's a very individual sport. So I think that's what makes it a lot different than a lot of the other sports that I do work with. And then I think the other thing that is so just demoralizing and tough, why you need so much grit for drag racing You make one mistake, one mistake that, I mean, we're talking thousands of a second mistake, you're pretty much immediately done. Where, I mean, at least with golf, you make one bad shot, you kind of, you're still in the game, you know, you make, you're bowling, you're one. I think what's so, why you have to have so much mental toughness in drag racing is one bad mistake, you know, one bad light, one messed up finish line, you're probably done for the day, probably, you know, unless you got lucky and the other guy happened to not catch how bad you were. But, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I think that's what's just so hard about drag racing is it's just that that one and you're done. And then also, we just don't have much practice time. I love that Luke does the practice tree stuff. I mean, I think that's, you know, when people tell me they don't like practice trees, I'm like, well, that's all we got. I mean, in drag racing, that's really all we've got. I mean, you can do some mental visualization, but the practice trees and mental visualization that's all the practice you can have where, you know, if you're a basketball player, good grief, you can knock your socks off. You can go play basketball four hours a day. And, you know, drag racing, you don't have the practice in the the window of air is so small. I have worked with some gymnasts and I have to admit the gymnasts really like it when I talk about losing and winning by thousands of a second because they're like, yeah, tell me about it. You know, one little <laughs> one little wiggle on the balance beam. Um, swimmers are actually swimmers are fun for me to work with because they talk also about losing and winning by thousands of a second. You know, so. Yeah, so there's certainly differences in drag racing. And then also, we've got this darn car that, you know, Mike can be awesome some days. And then for whatever reason, the car has just decided to, you know, not cooperate. And we, you know, that could be frustrating, too, where Mike's doing everything right. And then the car is not doing everything right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So obviously, in, in your line of work, like as it pertains to racing, like I'm sure you get all sorts of requests. And I know that I understand that there's a lot of variables and personality that goes into you know individual training but like just give us an idea if i just came to you and said tammy i can't hit the tree what do i do like where would you start Sure, sure. Well, you know, first of all, that's never happened to Luke Bagaki because, I mean, when Luke says he doesn't hit the tree, it's like, you know, he had like a 21 or something, and I'd tell him to just cut it out that at 21, everybody cuts 21s. But anyway, so, no, but, but no, but everybody does go through a slump and everybody, you know, so, but in all honesty, I would start off with, is this something new or is this something, you know, have you ever been good at the lights or is this something, you know, relatively new? So, you know, kind of would start there. But, you know, I'd go back to some basics on some practice trees. And then I also would talk about, you know, some reasonable goal settings. 
So do I think Mike's going to cut better trees driving the dragster that he's had now for three years and he's been in a dragster for 10 years and he's ran super comp for, you know, on and off for 10 years compared to a super gas car? Yeah, the super comp light should be better. So, you know, we're trying to be reasonable on what are some reasonable expectations for how is he going to do in super gas the first year out? And I think, I think sometimes people get, they do get unreasonable expectations. And not that I don't want people to be the best that they can be, but if you think that every time out you're going to cut double O's and teen lights and never go red or never cut a 20 or a 30, you know, those are just not reasonable. So we actually spend some time making sure that when they say they're not cutting the light, really, what are they talking about? Then I like to do this activity really simple. You know, tell me about the last time you did your sport or, or drag race that you cut really good lights. What were you doing that day? What was the light condition? What, you know, how were you practicing? What kind of racing was it? What track was it? You know, just kind of like lay out the last time you were doing well, then lay out the last time you weren't doing well. And so many times the people can very obviously, they come up with like a simple thing, like, oh my gosh, I, I was at Bowling Green and it got late at night and I went red. And I was like, hey, did you go up and look at the tree? Did the tree look better? Yeah, tree looked better. Did you roll any, any into your box? You know, if they're a box racer, oh no, I didn't roll any into my box and I went red. Well, it will you know, now we know what's going on. You know, at if you're at Bowling Green and you get down to about eight cars and it gets that dusky magic light out and you're down to eight cars, you get a little shot of adrenaline, you better roll in 10 to 15 in your box, you know? I mean, like, those are the kinds of things that that we can kind of just identify very simple things. And a lot of times with sports psych, it really is some simple mistakes that people are making. And oftentimes they can come up with it if I kind of walk them through that. That's a really simple activity of just tell me the last time you did well, tell me the last time you didn't do well. And we really compare those two. Mm -hmm. No, I think you brought up a good point too, is like to me, something that I really tend to harp on, like in our, this is bracket racing elite community is optimism like to some extent because it's so easy in drag racing because for 99 percent of the time we come home the last time that we staged was a losing round <laughs> yes, and yeah. that's what you yeah. think about all the way home and exactly and, and and i think most of us are the same way come wednesday we can tell you exactly how we lost that one round and yes. probably have to really think about how we won the four rounds. Um, so Exactly. No, and, and I think we're all guilty of that. And, I mean, mm -hmm. part of me thinks that's great. That makes you a better person. You focus on your losses. I remember one time, Luke, when you came down to our house to buy something, you came in and Mike said something about, oh, yeah, I, I think I did race you one time at uh, Bowling Green. And you were like, yeah, you did. And you were in the dragster and I was in the door car and I went down there. We had identical lights and I went wop, wop, wop. And you dropped with me. I mean, you knew that entire race like by heart. And Mike and I thought that was so funny that like you remembered every moment of that race. But I thought, think of all the hundreds of times that you've won, Luke, and you probably can't even walk through that race Exactly. As well, that's what I was going to say. It must have been around that yeah. I lost. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because right. otherwise, the, the other time at Bowling Green when you when you beat us in Super Camp when you were on your way to win like eighty seven Super Camp races in a row, you don't even remember racing us in that race. You know, yeah, you were just like there was another one. I went eight ninety. I had a team light. He went a ninety two and had a twenty light. Done. Yeah, you know, you don't even remember that race. And I think we're all like that. But I think it is important that you do focus on why you lose. I mean, I I'm not. You know, sometimes people think a sports psych person is all like, I'm going to come in and make you feel good. No, I'm not. I'm going to come in and be like, what are you doing wrong and how can you get better? But be realistic and be optimistic and remember, remember the times you win and why you win just as much as you remember the times you lose and why, why you lost. And sometimes you lose and it's just a darn good race. I mean, like Mike and I are really big on, we don't beat ourselves up. I actually set the 890 timer up, you know? So when I tell him that he's on an 88, 
you know, and he comes back and he went wop, 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 and he went a 90 and he happened to have a 20. I don't really get that upset. I go, you know, you had a 20 light. You went wop, 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 went a 90 on an 88. I'm feeling like I did my job. You did your job. And the other guy just snuck it in there. You know, I'll take that. Where I think you should really beat yourself up is, you know, I tell him he's on an 88. He's down there on an 84 and he's going wop, 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 or, you know, have a 30 light, you know, then you should beat yourself up and you should think about that and, and why, what can you do better? I think that's a great point Luke, that the 99% of the time, the last time, the last race you have, you lost. And I think that's a really sad part of our, of our sport. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier the, my reference to, to Bob Rotella and I'm telling you it mm-hmm. was probably almost two years ago. Now I read one of his books called how champions mm-hmm. think, and it just yep. like changed the way that I, look at myself basically like it really I would recommend it to anybody like it I don't want to say it changed my life like it changed the way that I look at competition and yes. like his kind of core mm-hmm. philosophy and I guess it's not actually his it comes from William James I believe that right, basically right. people tend to become what they think of themselves and his main focus is you know building that confidence and optimism and finding a reason that you can succeed like are you do you, do you think along the same lines or want to expand I, I, on that I, at all? I, I abs- yeah, I absolutely do. And, yeah, and that, I mean, that's kind of classic sports psych. But it's also this, like, you've got to be optimistic and think you're successful, but then also put in the hard work in the background. And I think that's one of the problems with sports psych is, you know, I'll meet with somebody and they'll say, you know, I really want to win in drag racing team. You're like, I want to win. And then I'm like – how much are you out working on the car? How much are you doing the practice tree? You know, are you up there? I mean, once Mike loses a race, we oftentimes go down to the finish line and we watch the finish line. You know, sure, it's fun to, you know, watch the finish line, but we're also watching the finish line because he wants to learn and he wants to see how other guys drive the stripe and he wants to see what that looks like. And, you know, I, I think like there's just so much work. And I think, you know, somebody like Luke who's had so much success, it's so easy to kind of be like, oh, Luke's lucky and Luke's this or that. It's like, no, I mean, like we know how hard you work i mean we we see you we'll be out testing and tuning at gateway and there's luke you know it's it's 92 degrees and he's changing a converter and he's up there trying to make a run in a super comp car and then i'm like hey how'd that go looks like uh that was pretty lousy i'm putting the other converter back in and you know it's it's 90 degrees out and you're you know you're up there testing and tuning trying to put a different converter in and you know those days that you're out there testing and tuning and doing everything that you can there's just so much work behind it but then after you put that work in i think that's what makes you honestly be able to feel like a champion. So I think the problem is some people want to just say, I feel like a champion, but you haven't put the work in to really let your brain believe that you deserve to be a a champion. But once you put in the practice trees and once you put in the hard work on the car and the the test and tunes and and you really do try to get better, then I think you can start thinking like a champion. Yeah, I agree. Like personally, I think it's it's almost twofold in that Obviously, putting the work in gives you that little bit of an edge, or I feel like it does. But to me, like any time that I have that, because we all have moments of self-doubt, you know, where the confidence is lacking, like it reassures me to think, look, I work harder than ex-opponent or, you know, most of the people here, like I spend more time on the practice tree, I spend more time in the shop. And that may not be true. But if I make myself believe it, like, I feel like right. I have a little bit of an edge from that, right? Exactly. And I think, to be honest with you, Luke, I mean, you do. I mean, you just do spend more time in the shop and on the practice tree and then more time on the track. You know, I mean, like, all that is true. So then that gives you that sense of confidence. And then there's also this vicious cycle of 
once you had some winning and once you won, it's so much easier to feel confident. Oh, and, for sure. Winning, you know, brings, it's winning. A, winning brings winning. And so, I mean, that's also sort of the vicious cycle where I've worked with some people who really feel like they're in a rut and I'm like, you know what you need to do this weekend? And they're like, what? And I was like, you just need to go to win. You got to go out and win because then all of a sudden <laughs> you're going to feel great. And they're like, well, I know, but you know, it's, it's such a problem of you can't feel good until you win, but you kind of, I don't think you can win until you feel good. So it's kind of this, this cycle. And that's mm-hmm. why I think, you know, when people say, why do you see some of the same guys win a lot? We're really good friends with Jeremy and Jason McCaig, for example, out of Gateway. And those guys win a lot because they, they always believe they're going to win. And then the people around them always believe that they're going to win. And so it's kind of interesting that like, you know, when we, you know, when we get up against them, Mike and I aren't like scared of them. You know, I mean, we think they're awesome, but we're not going to be like, we're going to make you race. We're not going to just go red against you, you know, that kind of thing. And I think, so I think winning gets more winning because it scares other people. Winning gets more winning because they are really good. Then that gets them more confident. You know, it's a big spiral. And I I think you've got to, when you're on that spiral, you got to ride it. You know, when you've won, when you've won 42 super comp rounds in a row, you got to believe you can keep winning more super comp rounds. But also if you haven't won a super comp round and then you start to almost doubt yourself like, Oh man, I haven't been past second round this whole year the second your brain thinks i haven't been around past second round this whole year you're gonna have a hard time getting past second round this whole year you know you've got to really just back up and say i'm doing everything right the chips aren't falling right i'm racing guys who are pulling out all the stops against me i'm gonna keep doing exactly what i'm doing and eventually the wins will come yeah no i feel like like our our sport a lot of people say it's so streaky and i agree you know like when you get to rolling like you almost can't do anything wrong and then when you're on the other side of it it just feels like you can't do anything right but my argument is just like you like i think a lot of that is mental and and confidence based but it's difficult to trick yourself Yes, it is. And like poor Mike has to live with me. So, you know, Lord only knows like you know what he has to go through. But, you know, I'll tell him something like you need to change a button. You know, like if you feel like you're, you know, he's just like, I'm just not feeling like I'm coming off the light right. Like, I mean, I just don't feel really good. And I'm like, well, then that button needs to go. We need a new button. Like, I think sometimes <laughs> you get that new button and you just get that little. It really, I'm a big believer that. I mean, I bet you Mike is, I don't know how many buttons. People joke he looks in the car and, you know, there looks like a, you know, a spaceship because there's 800 buttons in there. But I think you've got to do what you've got to do to make yourself feel really, really confident. And, um, and, and like, I don't work for a race pack or anything, but I have to admit, like, since getting race pack, I can download every single run. And we've only had that, like, for three years. And, and that's really, like, changed our racing. And I think it makes Mike so much more confident because I can come back and, like, say, give him so much more feedback that the car is, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. So perfect. So I think that can also give you confidence. So I do think you can you can get confidence by winning. You can get confidence by working hard. And I also do think you can get some confidence by maybe getting a few little, you know, tools, you know, a practice tree new buttons in your car if that you know if that makes you feel but if you can really feel the difference on buttons i mean i think there's a lot of things that you can do to give you that that boost of confidence uh, you can also get confidence by listening to tammy eggleston um i mean i feel like i'm ready to go out and crush anybody right now if anybody was to get in my way right now there's no way i could be beat you know i, I think i need a session with you tammy and you know be aware if we sit down at seven in the morning, don't make lunch plans because you're going to be there a while. I mean, there's a lot going on in here right now, but I, I'm a better racer right now than I was 15 minutes ago. I can tell you that right now. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> and seriously, just tell me, as a psychologist, what makes you cringe when you see it at the track? Oh, well, gosh, I've got so many, but, you know, well, one thing, you know, when you said you feel better hanging out with me, I mean, that is a tip too. like hang around people at the track and I'd argue every day in your life, you know, but hang around people that do make you feel 
feel better. You know, I'm, I was joking, you know, I, I love hanging around with Jeremy and Jason McCaig because they feel like winners, you know, they act like winners, they win a lot, they're confident, plus they're hilarious, you know, so they're fun people to be around with at the track, and I think that makes you better. We've got this other family, these John Radulowski, he's a foot breaker and he races pro and, and he's a gateway champ. He's and but he, he acts like a champ, you know, he prepares like a champ, he works like a champ. And I think like being around those people that does make you better. You know, I mean, I think that it's not a fluke that sure. Luke, you know, talks about how he loves hanging around with Tommy Phillips. I mean, that's not a fluke, you know, that, you know, I think when you hang around people that love the sport, that's kind of contagious. When you hang around people that work hard at the sport, you know, that just brings you up. I mean, that just makes you a better person and a, you know, a better way to live in general. So, so first of all, I'd say be around just good people in general, but the, probably my number one thing, it, it happens a lot. You know, you'll see a guy who's with a friend or, or, you know, a dad or brother, significant other, whatever, and you'll hear somebody say like, okay, we're down to eight cards. Don't go red this round. You know, that's like, you know, that's, no. that's gotta be my sports psych, you know, worst thing. And, and so, you know, I wrote some articles on that, that if you've got a person with you, they're probably, you know, they're with you because they care about you or whatever, but you've got to really sit down and just be really honest on things that help and, you know, things that don't help. Um, when Mike starts rolling, and he gets going on rounds, he gets really good. Like, you know, I, I kind of joke, if I can get Mike past third round, like, watch out, because, like, he gets really good. But I can't, I don't want anybody to be around him, because I'm so afraid that they're going to, you know, like, don't throw him off his game, you know? And so, you know, sometimes when other people are like, hey, did you tell Mike that blah, blah, blah is happening? And I'm like, no. And then, like, I like to go up and see what the ladder is. So, like, once we're on a ladder and we're, like, down to just a few cars, I like to go up. And so, like, when we won a few years ago out of Gateway at the national event, we knew that if we, or I knew that if he beat Gary Stennett, he had the buy run into the finals at the national event. And this is our first national event, yeah. you know. No small pass, like, just beat no the world pass. champion. <laughs> exactly. Right. Just, just beat him and you got the buy. Well, well, everybody was coming up to me and they're like, do you know that if you beat him, you get the buy? I was like, I want you all to shut up. And I said, if I hear one person say buy run in front of Mike tonight, I'm going to, you know, go crazy because this is Saturday night, you know, before Sunday. And so, I mean, I think it's those kinds of things of like, don't get in the racer's head, you know, and the racer probably knows it, you know, and even Mike was kind of like when people were kind of coming around, Mike was like, I kind of thought maybe I had to buy, but I knew better to ask you because that's always been our rule. Um, if we're at big buck races, um, Mike never talks about money. If there's any deals that are going to be made, he sends me over. He doesn't want he doesn't want to be have money on his mind, you know, like so. I mean, there's I think like the more you can kind of protect that. I guess if you race by yourself, then you kind of kind of have that stuff. But I think thinking about that stuff ahead of time. So not talking about buy runs, not talking about red lights, not talking about money. You know, I, when I hear yeah. guys who like know all the payout, I'm like, you shouldn't know the payout until it's time to do something with the payout. You know, I mean, I'll maybe stick a flyer in the golf cart. So if we get down there, I'll can yank out the, the flyer, but I'm sure not worried about cutting a deal until it's time to cut a deal. Yeah. So what I'm hearing there is that Luke, for some reason, let me write the first guest tutorial several years ago <laughs> on this is bracketracing.com. And my uh, article was race to win. It was basically centered around what you just said, focus on the do's and, and yeah. don't focus on the don'ts. You know, yep. I, I mentioned in the article, you don't back out of the driveway every morning and say, don't run over the garbage can <laughs> or the mailbox. You know, yep. you just go about your business. So yep. that, that makes a lot of sense and it is very difficult to do, but I think it does give you an advantage. Yep. Absolutely. Tammy, I think we could sit here and talk with you all evening. Uh, I, I know that we, you and I could go on for a long time, and, and, and I, I personally would be very engaged, but I think we would probably lose our listeners at some point. 
for, for racers who are listening and are, and are eager to, to hear more, what do you offer and where can they find you? Sir, well, currently I'm writing for Drag Scene. I've, I've kind of popped around from different magazines to different magazines, but there's a there's a great new magazine. I think it's really nice. It, it talks about pros and sportsmen, nice sportsmen coverage, great photos of sportsmen. So I really like it. So Drag Scene is new. You can find that online for free. I think you can get it in print too, but you can find Drag Scene. And then I do sell a, a book on my, my husband's website on www.toughpaw.com. So Tough Paw. And then I also have my own little website called Think Tough. And all my contact information is on there too. Very good. And both of those are tough with two Fs, right? T-U-F-F? Oh, that's right. Yeah, we never spell tough correctly. That's right. Yep. <laughs> T-U-F-F. Yep. Yep. Think tough and tough paw. Yep. Uh, before we let you go, Tammy, we, we try to close each of our interviews. And we're actually, we're getting better about this. I think we've, we've actually closed most of our recent interviews with a little rapid fire segment. So are you ready for some, there'll be a couple of racing related questions, but we got some off the wall stuff. If you can just oh, sure. short answers. Yep. All right. What is your biggest pet peeve? Negative people. All right, Tammy, what's your favorite movie? Oh, well, you know, I'm so into drag racing and stuff right now. I got to say Heart Like a Wheel. I mean, come on, the Shirley Muldowney cool. story. Like, who doesn't love that that old classic? I used to know every word to that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, lo- I, I, I loved it. Yep, yep, still do. What what website is your homepage? Uh, my homepage is Think Tough. Oh, at, apropos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is your number one vice? Oh gosh, I don't, I mean, I work so much and we race so much that my vice is carbon fiber. That I, I can't get enough carbon fiber. <laughs> I can't. If it's carbon fiber, I'll buy it. Yeah. So my, my vice is carbon fiber. <laughs> All right. Last one. And this is the big question of the week. Um, okay. You said you got your, your graduate degree at Iowa State, correct? I did. Yeah. Uh, how far are the Cyclones going in the NCAA tournament? Uh, you know the cyclones break my heart every year, so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get them. You know, well they they haven't hired me as a sports psychologist, so I'll I'll leave it at that. If they would have hired me as a sports psychologist, maybe they'd finally win one of these babies. But I'll take them down to the the Sweet Sixteen. I'll take them to the Sweet Sixteen, and then if they want to go they farther, would. they better contact Tammy Eggleston. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to be where they would run into Kansas. Is that right? Oh, yeah, that could be. I don't know. I yeah, I think that yeah. actually could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Very they'll good. find you at thinktuff.com. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tammy, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule and, uh, and joining us tonight. We uh, look forward to keeping up with you guys throughout the season. Good luck on the track, and uh, hopefully we'll steer some uh, some racers your direction as well. Hey, thank you, Luke. Yeah, good luck to you every time except when you race the tough ball car. Every other time, though, best <laughs> of luck to you, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tammy. Yeah, thank you. This podcast has been presented in part by Racing RVs. At this point, you should know about Racing RVs and what they're about. They support sportsman drag racing at an unprecedented level, and they've helped hundreds of racers just like you. When the time comes to consider an upgrade to your racing program, new or used, trade-in or direct purchase, motorhome or trailer, give Joe Fisher at Racing RVs a call at 419-236-1328. That wraps up episode 17. Wow, 17 episodes. That's, uh, that's good stuff, Luke. 18, because we have an episode zero in there, too. We've, we've, oh, that's a good point. We're like yes. seasoned professionals. You know what? We, we hardly had notes today. Ah. Oh. Man, we're awesome. Yeah, damn, we're good. (laughs) 
But definitely want to say thanks to our sponsors. You know, these are the folks that bring our podcast to you every week. Autometer, Buyer Jewelers, and Racing RVs. And in addition, thank you to our guest, Tammy Eggleston. Also, thanks to PJ North for providing the tunes and doing our intro. You can find PJ's work on iTunes. We plan to release a new podcast every week of the calendar year, so stay tuned for plenty more going forward. To get the latest podcast before your friends, be sure to subscribe to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, uh, we're on Google Play. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and review on those platforms for the podcast. That's how we can move up in the rankings so that more people can find us easily. If you don't like what you hear, I guess you could give us a scathing review. That's fine. That might even help us move up in the rankings too. I'm not <laughs> Not to be completely transparent, I, I don't really know how that works. But we would rather that you just uh, let us know personally. Uh, shoot us an email, shoot us a message on Facebook. Let us know how we can deliver a better show. And finally, be sure to join the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast fan page on Facebook to interact and become part of the conversation this week. Again, um, let your uh, nomination be heard for the last big thing. We'll have some fun with that in the coming weeks. Yep, and that wraps us up, guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you again next week. This way alive. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in Attitude like I am already winning in Foot breaking in anything, bottom bobbing for a 10 I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jared Pennington I was in my truck Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>